The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to another Monday night. That means it's time for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, our weekly get-together to sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And as we head into the final week of spring training, teams are starting to cut down their rosters. The Indians have made a couple of surprising moves. The Reds made a surprising move earlier this weekend by sending down Jesse Winker. And in order to talk about that and the Reds and the Indians, we go down south to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm fine, Dave. I think we need to apologize to our fans. We've had a problem with Skype, and if the broadcast is a little less than it normally is, it ain't our fault. <laughs> We're trying to do it on an alternative line, alternative line here, uh, but Skype has uh, has turned their back on us right now, so we hope the, that the broadcast quality is up to its usual standard. Mark, uh, the broadcast quality is always up to its usual standard because you and I are both on it, but nonetheless... <laughs> Hey, the Reds dropped Ryan Rayburn today, which I thought was kind of a surprise the way he hit during training camp. Yeah, I, I was surprised about that, too. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be more surprises like that, uh, you know, given what the Reds in, have to work with in terms of their uh, their roster this year. Uh, quite a bit different situation with the Indians. And uh, that's that's the nature of the beast when you are a team that lost close to 100 games last year as opposed to a team that won over 100 games. So the Reds are still searching while the Indians know exactly where they're going. Well, the Indians today made a curious move. They they told Austin Jackson yesterday, of course, he's the former Tiger and Seattle Mariner that set out most of last season with an injury. The Indians picked him up on a minor league deal. He's going to be with the team this year. They told him yesterday he was going to make the major league roster. He's probably going to platoon over the season with Tyler Naquin in center field. For some reason, Mark, the Indians just do not want to play Tyler Naquin full-time in center field. But the strange thing about it was I really thought they were going to go with Bradley Zimmer, who is their top prospect in the minor leagues. He hit three fifty-eight during training camp mark he really hit the cover off the baseball did a great job on opening day against the reds he had a couple of home runs against the reds on the opening spring training game and he ended up with four during the spring training season but they decided to send him down he's 24 years old and mark it's it's one of those cases where the indians just absolutely drive me nuts spring training basically means nothing to this regime. I know they went to the World Series last year. I know I complained about Giovanni Urshela a year ago. Tyler Naquin just barely made the team a year ago, but they have no confidence in him. They just stick 
with veterans and will not give the youth of this team an opportunity to come up, and Bradley Zimmer is just another example of it. Well, again, the, the, the roster uh, that the Indians have to work with um, includes some players that maybe wouldn't be on other rosters. And explain to Tyler Naquin resistance, as, as you call it, applying him all the time. I wish I could. I don't. I don't understand why they feel so uh, hamstrung out in center field, especially with Naquin hitting against left-handers. They have just got it in their heads that Naquin cannot hit left-handers. But it's not just Naquin. I'm, I'm rather surprised. Sometimes they do this with Chisholm Hall also against select left-handers. Uh, they've done it over the past few years with Jose Ramirez, who was there. They did it with Kipnis to start out. You know, there are players, Mark, that the Indians... One thing about Terry Francona, he loves to use his roster. He will use every man on his roster. Mark, I'm convinced 30 years ago when pitchers were pinch runners... Terry Francona would have used the entire pitching staff as pinch runners if it wasn't taboo today. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. A lot of times, though, back then, um, pitchers were viewed a little differently than they are now. Less investment, mainly, and uh, so the you know it's a different it's a different world. And to compare the eras back in the 60s, 70s, or even the 50s to today is so, it's it's a different game. Uh, the economics have changed everything, and I can understand. I remember when uh, Aroldis Chapman played for the Reds, he was supposedly as fast as Billy Hamilton uh, home to home, uh, his times, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't use him. And then because he was a, you know, he was a hugely valuable commodity, you didn't want to have him pull a hamstring uh, running the bases. Now, if he was making $35,000 a year, he probably would have been a pinch runner or even a pinch hitter because I went down to a Reds game, I think it was about three years ago, and he took batting practice with the pitchers. Dave, you've been to that ballpark. I've only seen one human being uh, hit the ball over the, the, the fence uh, into the river, and that was Adam Dunn. I saw Chapman do it twice in one batting practice session. That's how strong that dude was and what a great athlete he was. But, again, it, he never pinched hit for the Reds because people were afraid he might get hurt. Well, he's got long legs, too, very oh, yeah. strong long legs. Yeah, you saw him last year in the playoffs. He did pinch run, remember, for the Cubs. And score, I think he scored from first base on, I mean, he looked like he was, he had about a 15 foot stride every time he ran, put those legs out there. He, what a great athlete he was and, and is, obviously. Mark, another surprise over the weekend, but you called it last Monday night, Jesse Winker going down to the minors for the Reds. I think he's got the same syndrome as Bradley Zimmer. They're both pretty close to the same age. They're both pretty close to being in, in the top 10 of the top prospects in Major League Baseball, but both the Indians and Reds have decided that it's just not their time yet. Why not so much for Jesse Winker? Well, I, again, I think it may be the fact that they, what is it, May, I forget the date in May is, where they, they affect their their time in the big leagues, 
which gives the team an extra year before negotiating their free agency. Uh, so that probably has something to do with it. I don't see how he could not but help this team. And if you're looking to put the best players on this 40-man roster, on your 25-man roster, Jesse Winker deserves to be there. The guy can hit. He gets on base. He's not going to be a big power hitter, although he hit a home run yesterday. But this guy is certainly among the best 40 players in this organization. And uh, I think you'll see him uh, before May goes away. I think he'll, uh, he'll be back up in May. Uh, and it really depends on what happens with the, 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 the bench the Reds have. They, they've got a big decision to make in the next seven days. They've got to decide, are they going to go with an eight-man bullpen and five starting pitchers which would leave them only four bench players. Now, this is a problem because Mezzarocco, they've already said he's not going to be on the opening day roster, so you means you've got to get a backup catcher. And that leaves you three guys on the bench if you have an eight-man bullpen. So I don't know what they're going to do, but Jesse Winker, uh, I mean, he's on my 20-man, 25-man roster no matter what if nothing else but a pinch hitter. So it's it's a little strange to me, but not not terribly surprising. Look what the Cubs did uh, a couple years ago with their third baseman. Same thing. Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant. They, they kept him down longer than he should have been down. And uh, look what he did the next year. Yeah, and the Cubs were roasted because of what they did. That's right. Keeping Bryant down. Even the Players Union got into that act. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's, that's something that they just couldn't. They, you, you just couldn't explain, Mark. It was the only explanation they had was that arbitrary date in May where they could save another year. Yeah, and if you remember in that spring training of that year, I guess that was 2015. I think he hit nine home runs in spring training. <laughs> I mean, he was unbelievable. He was the best hitter in baseball in spring training, and they don't, they don't, he can't make the roster. <laughs> right now. I don't remember if it was Friday or Saturday, but Robert Stevenson pitched the first four innings of a game that the Reds had and pitched well, left the game after giving up only two runs. At that point in time, some of the Reds announcers were saying they thought that maybe Stevenson had turned a corner. Has he? I'm not convinced yet, David. He he is so inconsistent. and he Does he have the arm? I think so. We don't know if he's got the head yet, but he's a guy who can throw real hard. And I like your idea. I mean, if it applied to Homer Bailey, I think it applies to Robert Stevenson. Why not bring him out of the bullpen? Let him throw 95, 97, 98, whatever, for an inning or two and get his feet wet in the big leagues. But, you know, today I was comparing... The, the starting rotation for the Indians. But let's start off here. What is the starting five rotation for the Cleveland Indians going into 2017? Right now it is Corey Kluber as the ace, Danny Salazar or Carlos Carrasco are 2-3, depending upon how you want to look at those two. Uh, the fourth guy is going to... Um, Oh shoot! Now his his name totally escapes me. Um, the the freak, the flake, uh, the right hander, and then the fourth one is Josh Tomlin, or the fifth one is Josh Tomlin. So that's their top five. 
Trevor Bauer. Okay. Bauer, yeah. It's interesting when I look at those names because any one of those five would be the number one starter for the Reds. That That's how much better the Indians are than Cincinnati. When you have your fifth starter, Tomlin, would be the number one starter for Cincinnati. And conversely, when you look at the possibilities for the starting rotation for Cincinnati, let me give you let me give you five names I think will be there. I think they're going to have to start Amir Garrett. Scott Feldman will actually be their opening day pitcher. Brandon Finnegan, Cody Reed, Tim Edelman. The backups would be Robert Stevenson and Sal Romano. Of those seven guys, how many make your rotation or even make your pitching staff at all? Probably none. <laughs> Probably none. But where's Bronson Arroyo in the mix? Well, I don't have him as a starter. I see I see him as a bullpen guy. The, the seven I mentioned, I think, are, are the logical. Of those seven, they will pick five of those to be the starting rotation. I don't have Bronson Arroyo at least on opening day, being in the starting rotation. Now, he might work his way in there, say, in May and June. Don't forget, he's coming. he hasn't pitched in two years. He doesn't have the stamina now to go more than five, six innings. So I don't think they're going to waste starts on him unless he gets his, you know, he can get up into the seven, eight-inning range. But no matter what, he certainly, Bronson Arroyo would certainly not make your rotation, but the top seven starter, potential starters for the Reds, I don't think they make your entire pitching staff forget their rotation. So that no, I agree. That stands in stark relief between the relative strengths of these two teams when your fifth starter would be our number one and none of our starters could make your rotation or maybe even your pitching staff. Which is why the Reds have to either buy into this youth movement and say, these are the guys we're going to go with, and that includes Robert Stevenson. That includes you put Robert Stevenson in the starting rotation and you give him to the all-star break and let's see what he can do. That's what I keep talking about every week with Robert Stevenson. Forget what he's done in the minor leagues. Give him the opportunity to pitch at the major league level and let's see if it clicks. Well, the problem, I, I didn't know what you were getting at in, in the minor leagues with him. He's he's not performed well in the minor leagues. That's, that's right. the problem. So have they vastly or greatly overestimated his, his talent or his work ethic or whatever it goes into being a starting in the starting rotation, and he's just got a good arm hanging on his right shoulder? Uh, that's what they got. I, I agree with you. What do you have to lose? By sending Stevenson down, you've just delayed the inevitable. And, you know, Sal Romano had pitched very well in spring training up to his last start, really two starts, and he's been hit pretty hard. Uh, Cody Reed pitched very well last week. Uh, he, I think he went five and a half innings against Kansas City uh, and didn't give up a run, only, only one hit. But these, Amir Garrett, the last two times he has been out, he's been hit hard. So you, you, this is a, a scary, scary pitching staff. And what makes it so tough is this team, I think, has a chance, for the most part, to play 
close to 500 ball this year if everything goes their way. The problem is with this kind of pitching staff, you have the ability to lose eight, nine, ten games in a row. That's what happened last year. They, they, they had, I think they had four losing streaks over eight games during the year, including a 13-game losing streak. So, you know, you have a chance with this pitching staff to have these guys go out there for two or three times in a row and get, get hammered no matter what your offense does. So the gap here, this this enthusiasm, I, I, I think I hear coming from Reds fans, I, boy, I don't see it. I, I, I want Believe me, I want to be a believer. I do. But when I look at where the Indians are, where the Cubs are, where the Giants are, the Dodgers, all these teams with tremendous pitching staffs, the Reds have a triple-A staff. And you do not win Major League Baseball games with a triple-A staff, and it doesn't get better as you go along. It gets worse. Guys lose their confidence. Right now, everybody's psyched up. Can't wait for opening day. You go out there two or three times and get your head handed to you if you're a mere Garrett, and you're in trouble psychologically. And I frankly, I think that's what's happened to, to, to Stevenson. But, Mark, they could go into the season in the bullpen with Fred Flintstone, Barney Rubble, probably uh, any, anybody else in that bullpen, and it would have to be better than what it was a year ago. That that I agree with, but that is a low bar. What what they had last year was arguably the worst bullpen in the history of the Cincinnati Reds, and maybe, as one uh, sportscaster said the other night on radio, one of the worst bullpens in baseball history, going back a long, long time. I mean, you're talking about a historically bad bullpen. So they could improve that bullpen by 25 or 30 percent and still be a lousy bullpen. That's, that's aren't, we, aren't we used to the low bar yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it certainly is going to be better. Uh, you know, Lorenzen's going to be there. Um, you know, they don't have a, a closer. They're going to go by closer by committee. But some of these starting pitchers that don't make the rotation could be used in the bullpen, like Stevenson and Romano. But Rocio Iglesias, you know, fell down in the shower three weeks ago and hurt his <laughs> shoulder. He hasn't pitched in three weeks. So, Oh, my gosh, Mark. I mean, now you got to keep him out of the shower. First I of all, you, you can't put him near drones. You can't put pitchers doing anything on their off day in the yard. They can't mow, mow the yard. Now you're going to tell them they can't shower. Just how long is it going to be before we actually have a pitcher that can do anything on his off day and not get hurt? These guys have got to be klutzes. Well, it's uh, it, it, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. But, uh, again, the Reds pitching, and I don't understand why they haven't gone out and gotten, you know, a pitcher or two uh, that can at least make the team competitive. Because offensively, I think they're going to be probably in the middle of the pack. Uh, they, they've got good hitters. They, they, they run well. They play good defense. It's not an awful team. But when you have this kind of starting rotation, uh, it becomes an awful team until you get back Homer Bailey and uh, what's his name? Um, the guy who's always hurt. Uh, <laughs> I, 
Uh, that could be any of them. Yeah, that's true. So you know the thing. The thing about it is, though, Mark, I really liked the Arroyo signing. If Arroyo's arm is sound, it's a good pickup for the team. He'll eat some innings. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess I could be excited about that, but uh, I'm not. Um, I I just don't think that he is going to be. You know, the, the, I think the last year he played with the Reds. Uh, he gave up 39 home runs and led the league. And that was three years ago when he was healthy. So I don't know how you can look to him and say, yeah, this guy is, is going to be our, our savior or he's going to help our, our innings eat. And yeah, he, he could eat a lot of innings, but if his ERA is something up around, uh, you know, seven, uh, so what? It, it, that doesn't, doesn't help you at all. So I, I don't know. And by the way, the name I couldn't remember was Di Sclafani, obviously. Uh, but Di Sclafani and Homer Bailey are going to be out for a long time, probably until June. And I don't think Homer or uh, Bronson Arroyo is going to be a positive answer for it. Now, see, I, I disagree. I think you need a guy that, especially in the red situation, where he's going to eat up some innings. I mean, Mark, the best pitchers in baseball throughout the years – in the history, have given up a lot of home runs. Catfish Hunter used to give up a lot of home runs. Josh Tomlin for the Indians gave up a lot of home runs. You're right, Arroyo, over the past few years, I mean, his last year in Cincinnati was in 2013. He was 14 and 12, had an ERA of 3.79 that year, Mark. And on the season, he gave up 32 home runs. Now, that seems like a lot, but his ERA was still below 4, so he still was an effective pitcher. A lot of those home runs were, were single shots. Yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, and I didn't want him basically to leave. I thought he could have helped the staff back then. But uh, at the same time, that's three years ago. Or four years ago now. It's four years ago. And he's he's had surgery. Uh, he's 40 years old. Uh, I, I just, I, I hope you're right. I hope I'm wrong. But I don't that he is a major addition or plus for this team in 2017. Well, I'm not saying he's going to be the, the star of the staff. I just think he's the type of guy that can bring some experience and, and eat some innings for this team. And, and quite honestly, with DiSclafani down, and when you've got some other pitchers like Homer Bailey, who's supposed to be a starter, you know, I've talked about putting him in the bullpen, but the Reds, you know, they don't listen to me. <laughs> They're not going to put Bailey in the bullpen. They're going to keep him in the starting rotation. There's two-fifths of your starting rotation down. If Arroyo can come in and pitch five or six innings a game, Mark, I think it helps the team. I don't think it hinders it. Well, we can agree to disagree. I think if you have Arroyo coming in pitching five or six innings, it means your bullpen's p pitching four or five innings or three innings or whatever it's going to be. And that's not what you want. Uh, the bullpen is already going to be taxed this year, given the weakness of the starting rotation. So a guy can only go five or six. It's not going to be helping you much. Well, Michael Brantley seems to be back in fine form. He hit a home run yesterday for the Indians. Of course, he's trying to come back from that right so shoulder surgery that kept him out pretty much all of last year. He played in only 11 games, missed the pretty much the entire season. But Mark... That's a big addition to the Indians' lineup. He more than takes up for the loss of Jason Kipnis if, if Kipnis is out for a long period of time. 
again, you're talking about I'm so jealous because you've got the kind of team that allows you to lose your starting second baseman, arguably an all-star last year, uh, and not miss a beat because of the depth you have on your 40-man roster or your 25-man roster, for that matter. And that's that's the big difference between a, a team that can win a World Series championship and one that's going to probably finish fourth or fifth in their division. Uh, big, big talent gap there. And, you know, you have to give it to the Indians organization to have assembled this kind of talent and to go into the World Series last year with, what, three of your starters down and go to the ninth inning of the seventh game? Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I think it's because the Indians lost that game, that seventh game last year, people tend to forget how good they were last year and how much better they could be this year. Look what you've added to a team in Carnacion. Start, just started in there. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's a great addition to your team. Your pitching is going to be much better because guys are healthy. I mean, this is a team that could rival any team in Cleveland history with total wins. I don't know what the record is. It's probably what from your ninety in the mid nineties team. I, no, it's it's nineteen fifty four. Uh, no, one hundred and eleven. One hundred and eleven. Yeah. Well, you may not get there uh, because that was one hundred eleven games in one hundred and fifty four game scheduled. But this team clearly has a chance to win one hundred and four, one hundred and five games this year, and that makes them a great team. So. You know, having Brantley come back is a is a tribute to your organization, who has stockpiled this talent, made some good deals, and uh, you know your odds on favor to win the division. Well, and they've also recently signed Jose Ramirez, who's going to move to second base in the absence of Kipnis, probably through the month of May. He he probably will not return to the lineup until June, but Jose Ramirez was just signed to a six year. $26 million contract, Mark. They just signed this kid to a $4.5 million a year extension. He's going to be with the team now through the 2023 season. And Mike Chertoff, the general manager, you remember seeing that little clip from the German chancellor talking to the newsman from his den at home and the kids walked in behind him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, evidently that happened to Mike Chertoff over the weekend when his son came in and said, have you told him about Lindor's new contract yet? <laughs> <laughs> and nobody was supposed to know, but evidently the Indians have signed Francisco Lindor to a long-term deal. So this administration that the Indians have obviously is trying to take a page out of the Dick Jacobs, John Hart, Mike Hargrove book, and sew up all of their young talent for years to come. They've done it now with Ramirez. Now it appears they've done it with Lindor. They've already got Kipnis signed up through the 2022 season. Brantley, he signed a long-term extension a few years ago. So did Jan Gomes. They've got Encarnacion on the team now for the next three years. The only guy that they've got coming back, Mark, that's going to be a free agent, is Carlos Santana. Well, great great position to be in, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, the Reds haven't been favored like this, I think, since probably 19, 
what, 76 to repeat as strongly as the Indians are right now. I have not seen one report that does not have the Indians as the uh, prohibitive favorite to win the Central Division. Well, ESPN, a couple of reporters said that they're anticipating another Chicago-Cleveland World Series. Mark, if that's the case, it doesn't matter if the Indians and the, and the Cubs are both better than last year. For If these two teams, and we're going to go through our predictions next week on next week's show for the upcoming 2017 season, just a little shameless promo there, but nonetheless, they're going to have a hard time, Mark, matching the intensity and the fun of that seven-game World Series a year ago. Yeah, that, that was one of the most amazing playoffs I've ever seen. It, it was quite something because when you I, – I really thought the Indians were going to win it when they got the home run in the bottom of the eighth inning to tie that thing up at six apiece. I thought, this is our year. This is what – Movies are made of. <laughs> and unfortunately, it just didn't happen. The Cubs were able to outlast the Indians. But I'll tell you one thing, if it comes down to the Cubs and the Indians, I'm, I'm ready for that one already. You know, that was an interesting, for me anyway, being a, a, a Indians fan, as it were, but also a Cubs fan. And my emotions, just as a kind of a neutral observer of the game, I wanted both teams to win. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, going after that home run, I was thinking, I don't know who I'm going to feel worse for. The Cubs get this far again, and they lose again after having a three-run lead in the eighth inning. It was just back to, what was it, uh, 2006 or seven, whenever they played in the playoffs against the Marlins. And they had a two or three run lead into the eighth inning. And, you know, the sky fell in and they lost that game. But I think the Indians, they have a chance to be the perennial winners in the American League for the foreseeable future. I mean, they have that kind of talent. Something is going to have to have happen negatively to that team. Like your, your pitching staff, if you have your – three or four of your guys go down again, certainly you're not going to be able to probably win. But right now, with the pitching staff of Kluber and Salazar and Carrasco and Bauer and Tomlin, if those guys stay healthy with the offense you have, this team could win the division for the next three or four years. You're never going to match the Braves from the 1990s when they won the division, what, 13 years in a row. But... I think the Indians are of a level of talent that something is going to have to have happen that is very negative and probably more than one thing to keep you from winning. Well, here's the here's the difference between the two teams that were supposed to have longevity in the American League Central of the past few years, and that's the Tigers and the Royals. Neither team had their pitching staff locked up. The Indians have their pitching staff locked up through the 2021 season. They've got Kluber, they've got Salazar, they've got Carrasco. The only guy that's working on a short-term contract is Josh Tomlin, and he's their number five starter. You've got Ryan Merritt and Mike Clevenger waiting in the minor leagues 
to come up and just salivating over an opportunity to get into this rotation with the Indians. That's the difference between Kansas City and Detroit over the last few years and what was supposed to be a dynasty for both ball clubs. They just didn't have their pitching staff locked up, and especially Kansas City. If you remember, Mark, two years ago, they got a World Series out of it. They got the World Championship out of it, but they had to give away half their half their uh, starting rotation in the minor leagues at the AAA level to the Reds to get Johnny Cueto to solidify their major league rotation. And like you said, if the Indians don't have any injuries, that's the advantage the Indians have. Detroit's had to do it. Kansas City's had to do it. A lot of teams have had to do it, but the Indians won't have to go out and get that stellar starting pitcher to solidify them down the stretch. Well, in comparing Detroit and Kansas City, I think the bigger disappointment is Detroit. Uh, even when Kansas City was winning, uh, they they shouldn't have won. <laughs> they won some games in the playoffs they shouldn't have won. I thought they were a good team. I didn't think they were a great team. A lot of speed. They had good pitching. Timely, timely hitting, which is not always going to be timely. But Detroit, with the team they had and the starting rotation they had, Going back three or four years, wow, you look at that team, and I don't know if it was mismanagement or uh, it was a business issue, but with the talent they had on that roster offensively and defensively, it's just amazing to me how that team did not win on a consistent level over four or five, six years. Yeah, it, it was kind of surprising. I mean, the thing that happened, they had uh, – Jordan Zimmerman, and they had some other pitchers around there. But, you know, when they had those pitchers, Mark, that, that had their great years, if you remember, Justin Verlander was kind of going through a malaise. Remember, there was two years there where people were starting to ask, is Verlander done? Now, my dad would call it that blonde thing <laughs> with Kate Upton, and that's what caused him to have a couple of, of downtrodden years. But, Nonetheless, uh, Verlander came back with a vengeance a year ago, but I don't think, Mark, they've got the pitching this year that can keep up with the Indians, even if Verlander has the same type of year as he did a year ago. Oh, I agree with you, and, and, and I think it's ironic. When they traded Jackson out of center field, that had a, that had a big impact on that team, far more or far greater than anybody realized. He, he provided a component of speed and defense on that team and timely hitting that they really lost in that trade. So that that was a that was a bigger deal than I think anybody knew. But unlike the Indians, I don't think that the the Tigers have the resources at the minor league level that at least there today that the Indians do and did. And they the Indians have done it with both free agent signing good trades, but also developing that farm system. And Detroit, I mean, they, they had a lot of high-profile guys, you know, Berlander, et cetera, uh, that just did not perform well uh, in 2014 and 15. Berlander came back last year, obviously, but um, that it just – I think they and the, um, the L.A. Angels – California Angels, oh. have to be the two biggest disappointments in baseball in recent history. I mean, you look at that Angels rotation and you look at their lineup, 
And to have that team perform the way they have over the last four or five years is, is really kind of amazing. I, I've never seen anything like it. You know, we've talked about Mike Trout and where he's liable to end up. I mean, I think you're right, Mark. I mean, he's got that long-term contract now with the Angels, but they can still trade him, and he's about the only chip that they've got. Yeah, I, I heard the other day that Pujols may walk away from his last year. He's got four years left on his contract, but his daughter is a world-class um, gymnast and may be in the t- uh, t- uh, 2020 Olympics. And he has moved his family back to Kansas City, where his daughter works out all the time. And he said that he may walk away from his last year of his contract. So you're right. They can't do anything with pool holes. Uh, Trout is going to eat up a huge portion of their payroll. And they are between a rock and a hard place out there. And with the success of the Dodgers and the, you know, even the Padres are getting better. Uh, th- th- that team has really underperformed. And, you, you could argue that Washington is also underperformed with the with the staff they have, but they they've at least won during the regular season. They've they've been a bust in the playoffs, but that team is an exciting team and they win a lot of games, so the fans are going to be behind them. But boy, the Angels uh, they're they're nowhere near being a contender. I don't think going into 2017, and I, I don't see where they go from here unless they trade Trout uh, for. A ransom. I mean, they, they get so much talent back in a trade that it can rewrite their their next three or four years. But right now, I don't see them going anywhere. Mark, I'm sitting here, and as I stand up, I face the West. I've got my flag in my hand, and I'm saluting it because the United States won the WBC last week. I was never so proud of a an American team competing in the WBC. First time they've ever won it, Mark. Did, did it cause you to lose any sleep that night? No, no sleep at all because I didn't watch any of the games. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think that is a, I guess in the Latin American world, uh, that is a big deal, a bigger deal than it is to most Americans and certainly is to me. Uh, I think all it is to a large degree is a place where major league players can get hurt. And that happened three or four times this year. And that's what bothers me about it. And I mean, I can understand the excitement over a, uh, a U.S. participating in the, in the, in the Olympics, but not in this. I mean, it just hasn't flipped my switch yet. So maybe it will someday, but, uh, right now it's a ho hum to me. The most surprising thing was, I saw Carlos Beltran. I had no idea who he was, Mark. He, Everybody on the Puerto Rican team had dyed their hair white, and he did his beard. Mark, I could not tell who this guy was. I swore it was – I just had no idea who it was. I swore it was some 70-year-old coach that during the during the game they were showing him down in the dugout just sort of leveling the lumber. I had no idea who he was until he came up to bat. And it just, it was, he almost looked like an older uh, Rico Cardi. (laughs) That's what he looked like from just staring at him with this white beard and this white hair. It was, it had me taken for a while. 
Speaking of Rico Cardi, if you remember last week, I, I mentioned about the Roy Hobbs baseball tournament, and I played with uh, Rico both in Arizona and in, in, in Florida against him and with him. And I played with a lot of guys in my life, uh, uh, Dave Parker and some other guys, name dropping here. But uh, I tell you what, Rico Cardi was the scariest human being I've ever played with. <laughs> and he was a teammate. I mean, this guy, number one, he was gigantic. He was huge. His arms were bigger than my legs. I mean, this guy, number one, was was really big. And he he was just kind of a scary guy. He, he didn't speak English real well. And he always talked about himself in the third person. Uh, you know, Rico, go do this. Rico, do this. And, you know, you couldn't kid around with him. I mean, I remember uh, Jose Cardinal telling me, he was a good friend of mine, I was I made some kind of joke and he says no no you don't say that in front of Rico you do not say that I mean anyway uh, you know he was a uh, interesting character to say the least and, and part of the fun in playing in those tournaments like Roy Hobbs is you get to play with these former major leaguers and you know you, then you go home and read read about them or see their baseball card or something like that and you know there they are in real life sitting next to you talking about we're going to go to dinner after but Professional I'm amateur out playing terms. against them or what? Who's the biggest baseball player you've ever seen, Mark? Uh, I, I, I mean, just, he was 6'3", I think. But when I played with him, he had to weigh close to 300 pounds. And he was just a big, big, strong guy. And his hands were like, I mean, I can palm a basketball, but I remember shaking hands with him, and you, you'd like you're putting your hand into a catcher's mitt. Uh, it's just, he's just a big dude. Um, there, there were some fat guys that I played with or against, uh, that weren't very good, but he was probably the biggest guy I ever played. <laughs> I got, I got some Wait. trivia for you. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, we talked again last week about Roy Hobbs, and of course he's a character, uh, that was created, uh, in, in the natural. Uh, the, the, the novel that came out in 1952. Uh, do you remember who the natural, uh, Bernard Malamud wrote that story, uh, and he wrote it in 52, came out as a movie, and Roy Hobbs, of course, was the, the main character. Do you know who, who that character was based on and the story behind it? I thought it was Lou Gehrig. Nope. It was a guy you, you you wouldn't suspect, and you maybe not even know the name. His name was Eddie Waitkus. Never heard of him. Eddie Waitkus played for. Wait, he was my waiter at the at the bar the other night. <laughs> he played for the Phillies. Had a brief career with the Phillies and the Cubs. And in 1949, a woman named Ruth Ann Steinhagen, who was nothing more than a baseball groupie, she was 19 years old. She Never thought, trust a woman named Ruth or Linda. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, she became entranced by Eddie Waitkus, who was, you know, a pretty good player, actually. And he, he hit over 300 his first two years. And so she invited him to her room one night, and he walked in, and she shot him, which is not a good greeting normally. No. No. She shot him and he almost killed him. And it, the bullet stopped real close to his heart. 
he recovered and came back and actually returned to the big leagues that year and was part of the 1950 uh, World Championship Philadelphia Phillies. So that's how the character for Roy Hobbs was created from Eddie Waitkiss. And uh, Roy Malamud wrote that story based on a, a version of a guy who gets shot by a, a groupie and comes back, in the case of Roy Hobbs, he comes back 14 years later. But Eddie Waitkiss was actually the guy that the story was based upon. So I have now increased your literary knowledge, and you should thank me for that. Yes, I, I'm now now much more smarter. But then again, so are you, because now you know not to trust any woman named Ruth or Linda. And anybody who says more smarter is not to be trusted either. <laughs> Good point. You know, none, nonetheless, you know, as we, we move along here and try to let people know that we are not as crazy as we may sound, you know, that is one thing, Mark, that when we look at Major League Baseball and we look at some of the stories that have been that have gone on throughout the years. You know, The Natural has got to be one of the, the great baseball movies of all time. I know when they, they did it, they had only one guy in mind, and and that was Robert Redford to play that role. But when you think back on baseball movies, Mark, I don't think I am ever going to find a person that will ever star in a baseball movie that is more accomplished than Kevin Costner. That guy has been unbelievable when it comes to baseball movies, catching, pitching, and just being somebody that walked out into a cornfield. Well, that is the irony about Kevin Costner is that he played, he played minor league baseball. So when he was in Bull Durham, and you could see the way he hit, the way he got behind the plate. He, he was actually an infielder, I think, uh, in the minor leagues. But he, he was a he was a very good athlete, and so that that changes everything in a baseball movie when you have players or actors who can actually play the game. I mean, I remember when uh, John Goodman played Babe Ruth. What? That was a joke. The that first was. time you saw him swing. The bat, you knew he had never played baseball in his life. And going back to William Bendix, who played Babe Ruth, uh, you know, Gary Cooper, who played Lou Gehrig, these guys never played baseball. And I think that just killed the movie, for me anyway, from, you know, being a, a baseball guy. Uh, you, you can see in one swing or one throw that these guys never played the game in their life. With Costner, you could tell he did play the game. And that's what made it, you know, such a such a great role, for, the roles for him in both Field of Dreams and The Natural. And the thing about it is Tim Robbins was so unorthodox, gangly and everything else, Mark. He, he just played, he was perfect for that role of Nuke Lelouch. Yeah, he was. And, you know, one of the ironies about uh, the, the Field of Dreams was there was no baseball action in that movie other than the, you know, the, the dead guys who came back at the end of the game. But it was very passing, you know, there was very, very little baseball action in that in that film. It was all about what was happening outside the lines that, that made that story, but it's always remembered as a baseball movie because it talked about baseball. But you, you, can't, you can't point to any outstanding baseball action or scenes in that film. 
Mark, there are three movies that when I'm flipping through the channels at home, when you come across these three movies, I have to stop and watch. The first one is the original Rocky. The second one is Shawshank Redemption. And the third one, of course, is the Kevin Costner, you know, Bull Durham. But when I think of Bull Durham, Mark, there's one scene in that movie, and I'm going to keep it clean. There's one scene in that movie that I just think is absolutely hilarious, is when he walks out to the mound, hands the ball to Nuke, and says, I want you to hit the mascot with the next pitch. <laughs> he drills the mascot right in the side of the head, and that mascot just drops <laughs> like, like the bull that he is. And, and he looks at the next batter, and he goes, I don't know where he's throwing the ball. I swear to God, I don't know where the ball's going. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that has got to be the funniest part of that movie. Yeah, that that was <laughs> that was really a hysterical scene, and and then when he after the guy hits the home run, because uh, he, he goes after the mound, and, and Luke said, "You told me what the pitch was." He goes, "Yep, I did." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and he tells yeah. the hitter, he said, "Son, you'll thank me later." <laughs> Yeah, that that was that was a good one too. But John C. Riley played the catcher, and for the love of the game, didn't he remind you of Bill Freehand? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. The only time Bill Freehand looked good was when he had the mask on. Yeah, that's right. And John C. Riley was the same way, absolutely the same way. You know. So okay. So talk about the parade next week, Mark. The parade always happens. On opening day in Cincinnati, what what happens with the parade? Sean Casey's the we talked about that last week. He's the grand marshal of the parade. So what happens in Cincinnati? Well, Sean Casey uh, coming back to Cincinnati. We talked about it last week. Yeah, he, he was a Reds player, but he's a, he's a really a Pittsburgh guy. But there, there is no opening day in baseball like there is in Cincinnati. And I've lived in Philadelphia. I lived in Chicago, Los Angeles, New York. Uh, South Florida, and it, it, it is a it is an event there, and and Sean Casey will be forever immortalized by you know riding in a convertible, waving to fans. <laughs> that's you know that's part of the the event that opening day in Cincinnati is. They actually move the start times back to four o'clock next week in Cincinnati, so they can have more time for the parade. Because they used to have the game start at 1.30 or 2. That meant the parade started at 10 or 10.30. Now they can start a little later. But there will be tens of thousands of people lining the streets in Cincinnati uh, watching Sean Casey and other Reds greats uh, you know, ride through the parade. You know, we talked about this last year. I went back and listened to the week before opening day, the show that we had. And you remember, Mark, the weather was the same. The week before opening day, the weather was in the 70s, 75 degrees, all throughout the state of Ohio. And then opening day hit, and it was gorgeous, and everything was fine. And then the following two weeks was rain and freezing. I remember that. I do. And the the forecast for next Monday, you can't really rely on it that much a week in advance, is supposed to be in the low 60s and and sunny, only 20% chance of rain. So, Hopefully we'll get a break on opening day, but that's why they don't play on Tuesday. 
because they never play on Tuesday after opening day on Monday. In case it does rain, they'll be able to get that game in on, on Tuesday. But uh, I don't recall a rainout or a snowout recently in Cincinnati. In fact, the last 20 years, I can't remember. I, I remember if you back in 1990, if you recall, the first three games for the Reds were rained out. And that's when the Reds had to open on the road in Philadelphia, and they opened with nine straight wins and went on wire to wire to win the the World Series. Well, in 2007, I remember the Indians had a three-game series against Seattle, snowed out in April, and they literally had to move that series from Cleveland to Milwaukee. They played the series in Milwaukee. Cleveland was the home team, and Seattle was the visiting team. I remember that, and uh, it's funny the the weather patterns changing that rapidly. But I I, I don't recall that happening of late. Uh, it you know April weather is always iffy, no matter where you are, unless you're playing in California. But it always begs the question: if the Angels are coming into Cleveland for opening day, or whoever comes in from the West Coast, the question is why? Why doesn't Cleveland go to California? And play opening day. I mean, it makes no sense. I don't know who thinks about these things, but having an opening day series in a Midwest city in April with an outdoor stadium is idiotic. Why would you take the risk? Mark, a couple of things before we wrap up tonight's show. First of all, you know, we've talked throughout the years about how the media and a lot of people have thought that baseball needs to speed up the game. I was astounded, literally astounded, by Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, coming out last week and saying that they were actually going to eliminate a few commercial breaks for the networks in order to speed up the NFL game. Now, we've talked about that, and and you've been the biggest proponent of that, that they should just eliminate some breaks during the game, and that would speed it up. Do you think with the NFL actually taking this stance and doing something about it, maybe Rob Manfred is seeing the writing on the wall and maybe he'll do the same thing in baseball? I hope so because this is not an economic issue, Dave. You could shorten, take out two commercials, two 30-second spots, but charge more for the spots that are run and make up the revenue. The teams or, or the companies that are sponsoring Major League Baseball would probably like having less competition on the commercial side and paying a little more, but the game would be much faster. And if you took out a minute in each half inning, that's 18 minutes per game to start with. And so, you know, you, you now you rather than two hour or three hours, you're down to two hours and 40 some minutes. Uh, you know, that, that's that's the biggest change you could make overnight to do that. So, yeah, I think baseball games are not played more slowly on the field. It's what happens off the field that's making the games longer. And what you'll find, Mark, is the complaint, if and when they do that, will switch back to the ballpark because people will not have enough time to get out of their seats, get to the concession stand, grab their hot dogs, their beers or whatever, and get back to watch the next inning. Well, first of all, from my perspective, I don't think the games are too long. I don't. I don't either. So I, I don't know what the – I'd like to know the individual that does. I'd like to meet him because I've never heard anybody say 
gee, this game is too long, other than the press. And I've never talked to any baseball fans who say, wow, I'm not going to go to the game because it's going to last three hours and ten minutes as opposed to two hours and 40 minutes. That's not that's not why you go to a ball game. So I'd like to meet that individual who thinks it's too long. What's the longest inning game you've ever sat through? Uh, it was, I think, 21 innings. A Reds game, I believe it was against the Mets, back in uh, like 1963-64, and the Reds lost. And I <laughs> sitting, there must have been 100 people left at Crosley Field. Uh, it was cold, it was rainy, and I was bound and determined to sit there until the end of that damn game, and the Reds lost. I think they lost on an error in like the, I don't know, the 20th inning or something like that. And the, the thing I remember most about that night is I had to hitchhike back home after the game. You've got me beat by two innings. Uh, a friend of mine and I sat in, in Progressive Field back in 2004 and watched a 19-inning game in May against the Minnesota Twins. 19 innings. Boy, were our wives upset. <laughs> yeah, well, my wife would have killed me and left. She would have left. After, she wants to leave after the sixth inning now or seventh inning. So uh, imagine what uh, 20 innings would do to her. Mark, it's the last week of spring training. Are the everyday players taking this week off now, or are they actually trying to fine-tune themselves for opening day next week? Yeah, it's the latter. These guys like Joey Votto and some other guys, they haven't played a lot of innings, so they're going to be honing in this this last week, You know, getting an extra I don't know, 30, 40 at-bats before the, the bell rings next Monday. Uh, but I'm going to bring up very quickly a guy named Eris Mende Alcantara. Uh, I think he is a guy that maybe he's not going to make the roster this year. I don't know. But I've been really impressed with that guy. And I'm sure the Indians have some young guys that you've looked at, too, and said, hey, uh, this guy can play. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So, you know, opening day next week, you know, Indians, they're on the road. Reds are at home, as always. Should be fun. And our preview show, prediction show, is next week. Remember, Mark, remember what I said last year? <clears throat> My prediction? That I, was, Dubs, that I was the smartest Indians. guy you ever met? Um, that, uh, had I done that, I would have been wrong. But, you know, my predictions were absolutely right smack dab on last year. Cubs and Indians and Cubs wins it, win it in seven. Yeah. Listen I, to the tape. Yeah, I, I think we were both pretty close last year to where the teams <laughs> ended up. But I, I do remember you saying that. So I bow to your brilliance. Thank you, sir. And we'll, we'll give you the opportunity to be just as brilliant next week when we return with our prediction show. Have a good one, Dave. Thanks, Mark. You too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us here this evening. Glad to have you along on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Be sure to join us again next week with our absolute prediction show, and we'll be bringing that to you here on Ultimate Sports Talk next Monday night at 9 o'clock, and you can also hear it on iTunes and on Archive and the podcast on our website, Ultimate Sports Talk. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us here tonight. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good night, everybody.